Welcome to the FitMind Project with your hosts, me, Laura Ash. And me, Barry Ash. Okay, guys, welcome to tonight's webinar. It's an absolute pleasure to have you all here with us today. Um, and we also have a very special guest with us um, this afternoon, and that is the lovely Kathy McCarthy. Now, some of you guys will remember um, Kathy from what, last month, I think it was, wasn't it? It was April the 1st or 2nd. Yeah, that's it, where uh, Kathy came and spoke to us about stress and stress hormones. And it was really, really interesting to learn all about weight loss and perhaps sometimes while we're not losing weight is because of our stress hormones basically and how it has an impact on our insulin and and she spoke all about that so if you guys want to catch up on that one go back and have a look at it it's so important but kathy has really um you know agreed so lovely to come and talk to us about a really really important subject okay and that subject is perimenopause and menopause and postmenopause as well. And Kathy's put together an amazing um, handout as well. So we're going to be giving you guys that. Um, and if you're li li listening on the podcast, then please drop us an email at lauraash at rocksolidforlife.com and we'll get you sent one of those as well. So look, I'm going to, without any further ado, because this is such a massive subject, Kathy, we're just going to head straight into it. So thank you so much for joining us on a Sunday evening. No, you're welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so, Kathy, let's just Do you get... want me to just talk? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, let's just get straight into it, because we have so many ladies, and us as ladies, we have such a tough time on our hands don't we when it comes to the perimenopause and then into menopause especially when we're trying to lose weight don't we yeah absolutely and i think just to kind of clarify that for people listening i didn't even know this until reasonably recently because i'm getting on a bit myself but um you know uh menopause itself the definition of that the best definition they've come up with so far is it's one calendar year after your last period and so actually what we often all kind of call the menopause and all the problems and the symptoms we talk about most of those are actually associated with the perimenopause period which is that period of, you know preceding menopause bearing in mind menopause is a year after the last period and there's there's a couple of things about that number one you could be you kind of medically diagnosed as menopause and you could still, um, that, that doesn't actually mean just because your periods have stopped for a year that they might not come back, that can happen. Um, you could still get pregnant, that's, that's, that's interesting. But also, it's, it really is this perimenopause period and, and that can be anything from, I mean, you know, it's different for, for everybody, but certainly, even if you're not aware of it, it should, it's certainly kicking in by the time you're probably 40 and in some women it can be even as early as like mid-30s. So, um, and, and some of the diagrams I've put in that handout, you can see you can see how the rate of hormone production is declining um, from about the age of 35. And you know, as women, our main two hormones we, we do have to we have the same hormones as men. It's just in in you know very, very different amounts. And estrogen is obviously the main one with progesterone. And um, estrogen is always bigger in terms of you know on the graph. But as they decline, progesterone declines relatively more. So the gap between them gets bigger and a lot of the symptoms um 
can actually be put down to this kind of imbalance, if you like, between the two of relatively low progesterone and relatively high, even though they're lower, I don't want to confuse you, but, you know, as, as a ratio, relatively high estrogen, and things like estrogen dominance. And that can kick in for, you know, women, things like polycystic ovaries is an, is, is an estrogen dominance issue. And if you've got estrogen dominance, then you've usually got some kind of insulin resistance as well. Um, and... And there's, I mean, we can talk about it. There's, there's a whole bunch of sort of symptoms and problems that that arise from having too much um, estrogen and also too much of the wrong types because it's all this stuff that we manufacture in our ovaries, which is what's declining. We do manufacture it in other areas of the body. Yeah, we do carry on making estrogen post-menopause, um, and men make estrogen as well. But also just sort of understanding that. Um, I say, is that, you know, the, the, we live in an estrogenic world. So there's very, you know, we talk about progesterone being relatively low. There's very few kind of outside sources of getting progesterone, whereas there's many, many ways we get, you know, un, unwittingly estrogen. So that can be in birth control pills. It can be in tap water because, you know, when we drink tap water, it's got HRT and birth control pills in it. Um, wow. It can be in the, mm. the foods that we eat, particularly meat. And if you, if it's another, I'm not saying no, don't have dairy, but it's you know there's hormones in dairy. So often, you know, unwittingly, mm. we're taking even more kind of estrogens in through our food, through our water, maybe through medications, and then lots, lots of other things, which make the kind of already this this situation where the estrogens becoming relatively high compared to progesterone, and then we've got all these other factors kind of making that worse. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, if you look at 50 years ago, they didn't, okay, you can argue women probably didn't talk about, you know, women's issues and problems as much. You didn't tend to find that menopause was such a big thing. Uh, You didn't hear about it so much and certainly didn't seem to last as long as it does. And it's a lot of our kind of lifestyle factors and the qualities of our foods and the medications we take and all and that you know if you think about 50 years ago a lot of people grew their own food compared to now all of those things actually have a bearing on it it's not you know yes happens yes there's a decline in hormones and no we can't do much about that it is a life stage and it's kind of like beauty in reverse but we know with with puberty we get mood swings and you can get acne and that's important and when the hormones are changing ratios, you can get so many symptoms. Much like puberty shouldn't be a real bad thing, neither should that sort of perimenopause thing. And often when your symptoms are getting maybe a little bit out of control, it's often looking at other lifestyle factors that you need to look at. I've disappeared off of there. Can yeah, you still no, hear me? Yeah, we can still hear, hear you. It, your picture's not great, Cathy, so it might just have knocked you off for the picture oh. and just kept, um, kept that on. So... Um, it's cool. We can still right. hear you. Yeah. Okay. All right. I might, I, I might move the room. Um, my, my signal's stronger in my lounge. It's just darker. I'm by the half in there. So That's all right. Keep going. I've been told not to make any noise. <laughs> 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 you probably won't. I'm now. So, yeah, if, 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 if my sound goes at all wobbly, I'll move. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. So, yeah, so the basically, you're right, it's a massive topic, um, and that's why I did the handout, because it does, um, you know, I've got some good visuals and there's some good graphs. You can sort of see what's happening. So what I'm going to do uh, is then, but... what I'm going to do is, Cathy, I'm going to turn off our webcam, okay, and I'm going to just have mm-hmm. the, um, the screen up, which has got the um, handout on it. 
So um, we, yeah. we can talk idea. through that so the guys can see that. How does that sound? We've got rid of the screen. They can't see our screen now. That sounds, that sounds great, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that first slide does sort of show kind of, you know, what I was saying. You know, you've got this kind of transition and menopause being that, that very arbitrary point of one year since your last period you've got you know obviously once you, that that's literally a moment in time and then you go into postmenopause, and then you've got you know the perimenopause is really this you know it, it can be years leading up to as you can see there they say the average is about five but it could be anything up to 20 Amazing. um which is you know again there are genetic factors and stuff but again there can be some lifestyle factors which you'll see later on like i was saying to you before we, we kind of went live last that Things like people who've eaten low-fat diets for a very long time. Um, as you'll see shortly, sex hormones are, are, are made or synthesized from cholesterol. So if you've been avoiding fat for years, you're going to be have put yourself at a big disadvantage for this life stage because you haven't been taking those raw materials to actually making these hormones for years and years and years. But the good news is you can, obviously, it's never too late to kind of make changes. So so don't, you know, if that does sound like you, don't panic because as you know, the body's amazing and adaptable and, you know, once you start making some changes, hopefully you'll start seeing and feeling some differences. Yes. So I think the next slide's just a very quick funny, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I love that do you want one. Me? Can I do the slide or are you going to do them? Yeah, um, you, you, you just tell me which yeah, slide to go to and I'll, I'll, you know, sort of whiz it up. All right. No, so I get, and that's just really there, you know, again, I, I think the point I was trying to make with this, apart from I like to put little funnies in, is... That it is a life stage, like I said, it's like puberty. It's it is, you know, it's it's almost through magazines and the media and everything. It's 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 seen as this time of loss and this time, you know, like bad time. Yes, there's some symptoms that can be pretty crappy, but it's interesting because I'm not actually at that point yet. I'm definitely still in the peri kind of area. But you know, I speak to a lot of women who you know, kind of come out the other side and they say it's the best thing that happened to them. It's like you know, um, there's a there's an expert in the states. Called to Christian Northrop and she did the lifting of the hormonal veil because when you haven't got um, those female hormones kind of you, you know raging in you quite so much you actually become a little bit more like and by that I mean you know you become a little bit more selfish you, you know because each is one of those hormones when it's high you know it makes us very nurturing and about caring for others and you know obviously when you're childbearing age that's important when you doubt that actually people often find it liberating because it's almost like a new phase in your life where you know if you haven't been before it's your time and it's time for you but it very much is a, a new phase and if you think you can move into it doing exactly you know, what you did um before and, and it be a seamless transition it's almost like your body is saying i, I need something different now it's usually more self-care it's more sleep it's more you really do have to kind of embrace not only this life stage but you know embrace the whole concept of self-care self-love all the stuff that we want, we want all our clients to do at every age but it becomes really really important at this phase yeah yeah no i love that and i love the fact how you see that it's a natural time of transition and it's a chance to reinvent yourself rather than seeing it as lost because some people might think it's their youth that's been lost or it's a bad thing but I love that how you say about you know language is key anyway we speak to our guys about but having that you know hormonal veil being lifted I, I really like that angle on it as well actually yeah I mean you're not you're not going to be the same and you know there'll be some changes to your skin you're maybe not going to you know, look as youthful and so on, and that's all part of aging anyway, but it doesn't mean that you don't have anything to offer as a person. You've got all this experience, and obviously you're at that point where, you know, you probably don't care half as much what people think, and you can probably look back at your younger self and see how some of it actually 
kept you back yeah. from maybe pursuing your dreams, you know, whether it's starting that business, whatever it may be. And actually, you know, it's some, um, you know, because magazines and media are kind of tell us that we all have to be, you know, we all have to look like 15-year-old girls and we're only lovable if we're, you know, young, slim and pretty. You know, you know that's BS. And, um, you know, and, 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 and that's how people think of it. You really get to choose. You get, uh, you get to choose what you do in this phase, and you get to choose whether you want to let those hormones all decline. Actually, you get to choose whether you want to take some hormone therapy. You know, there's lots, there's lots and lots available to women now. It's just making sure that you have the information so that you can make choices right for you. Definitely, definitely. No, I love it. So, next. So I can see the next slide coming up, and that's just. We'll whiz over that one. We could get really into that, um, and there's probably no need, but that is just showing the menstrual cycle and hormone production. So, you know, as women, you know, <laughs> if you take an average 28-day cycle, as you can see, hormonally, we are never the same. You can see that they're, they're constantly fluctuating and growing. And, and actually, it's it's just, um, if you look at those on there, just at the start of menses, so at the start of period, that's when, um, that's kind of, when you've kind of perimenopause, menopause and maybe towards menopause your hormonal profile is going to be more like that more of the time certainly once you're kind of post-menopause that's kind of where you're going to be so one thing i've been taught in some trainings i've done on this is kind of as we're perimenopause or um your period each month is a is a good kind of way of checking in with your overall hormonal health and how you kind of fit one are you still getting it and how is it um, but also how you feel because that is a little indicator how you will feel post-menopause and often you, that is when people have lower mood because progesterone's low and progesterone's kind of like a bit of a mood hormone um and equally you know as women we, we are used to fluctuating hormones um when you look at that it's all pretty amazing and obviously it's all geared around you know production and fertilizing an egg and, and having a baby and and um obviously when we get to a certain age where that might not be such a great idea anymore um <laughs> that doesn't quite happen but, but equally Sort of, we, we, I think that's very interesting just to look at the ebb and flow of hormones just to understand, you know, because we, we all talk about hormonal balance, but it's it's never really in balance. It's in a constant state of ebb and flow. It's more just hormonal harmony, really. Uh, and certainly if you start having, whether you're perimenopausal or at any point um, when you're a fertile years, if you're having, like, bad symptoms, it's that, I'd say that's probably not normal and, and you, you know, you should, just accept it as being that's just how it is oh it's my hormones you know if you have like extremes of mood you have you know or, or or you know over overly emotional or you're having very bad cravings then there's probably something on a probably again i'm not a doctor i have to stress this you know there's probably something on a lifestyle um stage that we could look at certainly first of all as an intervention and it's not just about running to the doctor and kind of getting a diagnosis and taking medication because it's always worth trying to see how much you can can bring the body into balance by just making the right nutrition choices, exercise choices, sleep, um, and all of those good things that we all talk about. But, you know, they really matter, they really matter when it comes to hormonal health. Definitely. No, that's cool. So should we move to the next one? Yeah, next one. It's good having this. Yay! <laughs> okay, so we've already kind of touched on this. Yeah, again, I'll try to keep this brief because you could go down a rabbit hole on any of them. You know, the key hormones that are, are really affected during this period, estrogen um, and progesterone, we mentioned that already, which is the two main female yeah. ones. And testosterone, yes, as for men, we do have it. We should, you know, much, much smaller amounts than men, but it's important. It's an important fat-burning hormone, actually. Um, 
sometimes it can be relatively high, like in polycystic ovary system. But but again, we, we want that testosterone. And when we look at the type of exercise we might be doing, you know, again, we want that resistance or that high intensity training that's going to help us um, boost testosterone because it's important. It's important how it interrelates with the other hormones. So remember, it's always it's not really about demonising any one hormone or, or calling one thing good or bad. It's it's about balance and how they how they all are together and how they're kind of interrelating together. It's like having a happy family, if you like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're all steroid hormones. This isn't the bottom. And I know the next slide will show you what that really means. Let's have a look at so this is interesting. I was going to say, just for the guys that are listening and not watching the screen, can we just introduce each slide as we go along? Because the guys on the podcast are not going to know what we're going to be talking about. Okay, cool. Oh, good, good point. Okay, so, yeah, good point. <laughs> that's, that's the trouble with the visual to follow, isn't it? It's too, it's too easy. Um, so this one is hormones, the steroid um, hormone. Yeah, made from cholesterol. This is interesting. Yeah, they're certainly synthesised. Obviously, there's you know that's only plastic, but we're not here to have our biochemistry. But this is like the bits of grass, and and you can see that like the raw material is pregnenolone, and then you can see that uh, again that breaks down in I think DHEA and progesterone, and you can see that from DHEA, uh, then you've got all those other hormones coming. You go into androgens, and then that sort of splits off into either your estrogen or your testosterone so you can see that you know it starts with the cholesterol so it, you know again that's another thing that's you know in, in modern times has had a real bad you know cholesterol is bad but you know it's a natural thing we make in the body and we need it to make these steroid hormones and the sex hormones are steroid hormones so if we if our cholesterol is too low um or when, and we're not eating enough dietary fat luckily we can make cholesterol in the body ourselves so it's never going to be like zero but you know it's the cholesterol and the, and the healthy fats alone again your, your ability to, to you know manufacture these hormones is going to be slightly hampered. so we're talking about good cholesterol but also this well 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 just just cholesterol i mean again it's not necessarily just what's coming in from the from the body because actually you do you know you, the body does make cholesterol anyway so um so i don't want to get it's not like yeah it's not like not really talking about HDL and LDL and stuff here. It's really just, yeah, it's, that's, that's a that's a, it's a raw material for sex hormones. So, yeah. And yes, where, I'm not saying go and eat, you know, And where would our... <laughs> you know, dietary cholesterol is important, but we make it anyway. It's just understanding that that's kind of where it's originating from. Right, okay. Fats are really important. Yeah, so this is where we're saying fats are very important for our diet, but the good kind of fat. So things like olive oil, avocado, nuts, maybe even a little bit of beef fat, you know, all this kind of stuff. Because it's important that we have yeah. those also, to produce the, you know, sex hormones, which are the estrogen and the testosterone and, and the progesterone. Yeah, and also, and you'll see a little later on in on the podcast won't see but we'll we'll bring up the same idea this same this same like like flow chart cholesterol down and we'll we'll, we'll see shortly how stress and um cortisol come into this little kind of flow chart if you like and 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 like interrupt it so you'll you'll also see here how again you know you know because the body's a system and everything affects everything you'll see how uh, at this pregnenolone level um cortisol comes in and we'll talk about that there's a slide coming so, so it's just, just giving you an idea of that's kind of where they come from for now, but you'll see how, 
how, how they can also be impacted by stress. Okie doke, cool, fantastic. So that's just knowing that the cholesterol produces that. So this one is about perimenopause then. So what's this all about? Well, I think I started off with this, didn't I? I was saying it's, it's, you know, a lot of what we we associate with being menopausal and, and, you know, the the, the negative symptoms are really attributed to this uh, perimenopause, which is around the, you know, before that, that point of menopause, um, as you know, in, in the years, which could be anything from you know, two to twenty years before menopause, where the where the, the hormones are slowing down, and the relative balance of these key sex hormones, the estrogen, the progesterone, the testosterone, are all declining, but their their relative ratios start to shift around. Because they're present in different ratios, that's where we start to get a lot of these kind of slightly negative symptoms that you know we, we can associate with menopause. Yeah, yeah, okay. And they, as you say, that could be anything from two to twenty years of these kind of symptoms. Yes, that's that's a bit of a depressing looking uh, graph, isn't it? For those not looking at it, it's just a a diagram of a female body and I won't read them all out but it's all the you know it's everything from headaches and hot flushes and thinning hair um I've got brittle nails I don't, I don't want to read them all out but it's you know if you had all of these things I think that you know weight gain which we're going to talk about uh impacts on thyroid what have we got heavy eyes memory loss nights sweats and hot flushes which again you know these are really common things aren't they loss of memory loss of muscle tone sagging skin that tends to come down to the, the lowering estrogen um yeah there's so many of them you know, higher risk of osteoporosis again you don't feel that you don't feel your increased no. risk um that's just something that just is i've let a cat in i can't believe he's shut cats out i think what was Phil, most wanting most- interesting for, for some of these things for me is things like the tinnitus itchy ear you know loose skin on the soles of our feet cracked heels dryness in our skin i think i've got menopause you know Re- reading these um, some things like the, the heavy eyes the memory loss you know because we usually think it's hot flushes and headaches but things like you know yes. the sleep disorders, yes. the thinning, thinning of the hair, it all shows how we, you know our hormones are starting mm. to take that deep. One, one thing that triggers me off here is the digestive issues, the bloatingness, the indigestion, the constipation, the sweet stuff, and how that is affected with our stress levels, mm. and how it how it's you can Absolutely. see it's really inter, intermingling, they're really overlapping. So you can see the stress levels will put so much pressure on our sympathetic nervous system, therefore it will increase the the symptoms of menopause or perimenopause is that right yeah and they, you spawn there barry because because they, they do work not only in these, these axes or branches but there's also this hierarchy of hormones which we touched on in the uh, in the stress um webinar that we did a month ago together in that it's sort of it, it starts with um the stress if you like axis the what's called the hpa and it has a knock-on effect where the the thyroid axis and then into the sex hormones and to the digestive system. So yes, they are all absolutely directly. They all kind of are talking to each other and they're all affected. But what's also interesting um, is that if you look at now, now some of the ones like the sagging skin and the thinning hair, that is like declining estrogen because estrogen is kind of like the beauty hormone. Um, but a lot of these symptoms 
when you look at um, like stress hormone imbalance or cortisol dominance, very similar. And it's actually like, well, what am I? Am I have I got perimenopause? Are my symptoms perimenopause, or are my symptoms due to like cortisol imbalance? Because one of the things that happens is the estrogens decline. The estrogen has, um, as an earlier slide said, has over three hundred functions in the body. So it's not just about you know making babies and one of the things it does it's it's um it's one of those as women why we have a, a lower risk of heart disease until we hit menopause because it's cardioprotective it helps protect our bone health and um and as as it's declining we also become more susceptible to the effects of cortisol so so you've got this kind of you kind of like i would say it's like a perfect storm but for a lot of women in that sort of perimenopausal age you've got potential incredibly challenging lifestyle because women you know maybe in their 40s could be they could still have young kids they could also be or teenagers they could also be dealing with a stressful job um you know uh, they might have elderly parents there's, there's all these things going on they've probably got you know really really busy stressful life and then you've got these this decline of hormones you've got the sort of stress you're becoming more susceptible to the effects of the cortisol so it's um yes i mean i always say to everybody start looking at the stress first because that's more upstream and if we want to really kind of tackle the root causes of problems we need to go as high up upstream to the actual root causes we can yeah and, and that's also- definitely looking starting with the stress first and the thing the thing is you know when we start to get these kind of symptoms and when we do start to put the weight on we automatically start to panic don't we and that causes stress in our bodies but as you say it's just about going okay right what needs to change because again if we have all that stress it's just going to push it up because on this slide here it's it shows the decline of estrogen and progesterone with age but obviously we know that when we go into menopause, there is a relatively higher estrogen compared to progesterone, isn't there? Yeah, so it's, and that's what we then call estrogen dominance, or in America call it estrogen dominance. <laughs> and again, it's like, you know, what, what causes the symptoms? Is it the fact that hormones are lower or is it the fact that the, the estrogen becomes more dominant and we're going to, explore shortly you know and we're exposed to more external sources of estrogen as well as the internal stuff we're making so how much of it is about the hormones being low or lower how much is it about the relative change to the different ratio and and again i'm not a doctor but what you know what what everything what the research and everything seems to indicate is the estrogen dominance is more of a is more of an issue uh so it's looking at ways we can Again, estrogen is not a bad thing, but it's quite difficult to naturally boost progesterone, whereas there's sources of estrogen everywhere. There's estrogen in our food. It's, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that as the slide comes up. So it's just being aware of how we're taking in, you know, because our natural estrogens are generally good, but some of these external ones we're getting through the environment, through our food, through plastics and pesticides and all sorts of things are actually quite bad. And what they will do, and I know there's a slide coming up on this, but, but these kind of xenoestrogens start to um, latch onto the receptors and it stops, if you like, our natural estrogens kind of getting on. So it's almost like you're getting like, um, I don't know, it's like despicable me when the minions, what well, are those millions and they will turn back. It's like you've got bad millions rushing around trying to protect 
to be so, the good guys because it looks like estrogen but it's quite disruptive if that makes sense yeah and kind of the good stuff is getting onto that receptor cell hormones often work in this lock and model you'll find that the xenoestrogens lock on uh, to, to that lock and key things, meaning that the, the natural ones aren't getting through. So, so Kathy, although the body might still be producing them. So, Kathy, let me just ask you this, this thing before we go on to the xenoestrogen. So, when it comes to estrogen, we know that when we go to hit menopause, that goes up and progesterone goes down. But what's so bad about estrogen going too high? What's, what's the issue there? What, what problems does that cause us? It, it, it doesn't go up because it's going down, but it's not going down as much as progesterone. It's both going down because the amount of ovaries are produced is diminishing. Yeah. But we don't just produce estrogen in the ovaries. We can There's, there's a number of cells that produce estrogen, and that's a good because it has many good roles. Yeah. Um, the estrogen dominant um, is not so bad, but a lot of the symptoms can be attributed to the, to the estrogen dominance. Um, again, we're not saying 100% of the time hot flashes, but a lot of those negative symptoms right. people actually attribute to can be the estrogen dominance. But it is more, it is more the xenoestrogens. It's the fact that because we have both the ones that the body makes, you know, and there's, and there's three types in the body and four if you're pregnant, but we won't get into that. Um, with with the functions in the body, lots of good. We have these external estrogens as well coming into our system and they start to disrupt, if you like, the natural balance of our natural kind of made within our own body's estrogen. Right. So, you know, that's the thing. It's, you know, again, trying try not to say you know, estrogen is bad, or, you know, it's not. But we have a problem that, um, you know, it's almost like low progesterone can be more of the problem. And it's, you know, particularly people who say, I absolutely don't want to go and take you know, we'll cover it later. Not so much HRT, but you can have what's called bioidentical hormones. I know women have said to me that the absolute game changer for me was when I got on some form of biological progesterone and suddenly I could sleep and suddenly my mood, you know, I wasn't this kind of monster anymore. And again, I'm not saying women should or shouldn't do that, but it's very hard naturally to boost progesterone when it's dropping. But what we then have to do is be more careful about you know, the, the estrogens we're putting into our bodies, which make the imbalance of the estrogen and progesterone even worse. And the ones we're putting in, these xenoestrogens, environmental estrogens, right. are disruptive. Yeah. They're, not, they're, yeah, they're not meant to be in us, and they yeah. knock onto the cells and they cause havoc. Yeah. And again, you know, we're still learning this. And I'm not an endocrinologist, but they're still learning this, and, and I'm sure they will yeah. get there. But, uh, you know, and as you, I mean, the guys on the podcast can't see it. But, you know, these are like synthetically like estrogens that mimic estrogen. They lock onto these estrogen receptors, right. meaning that, you know, naturally most stuff isn't getting onto that because they've kind of got on their first as they can make the parking space. And, and it's in, in so many things. I say it's it's in, so if, you, if you're taking birth control, and you might be, it's in birth control. If you're drinking tap water, you know, it, um, it's not filtered. Unless you're filtering your water, um, you're probably getting, you know, hormone replace, HRT and birth control in small amounts through your drinking water. If you just to buy bottled water, then it's issues with, you know, BPA and, and you know, plastic and, and that kind of leaching distortion. Again, that's an estrogen. It's in things like 
certain paints and, and room fragrances and certain cleaning products and makeup products and, you know, sunscreens and beauty products and nail polish and, you know, so, so many places. You know, and then the food that we eat as well. There's also been exposed to some of these things and, and a lot of meat is, you know, it's not organic. As this slide just popped up says, food we eat is loaded with hormones and steroids as well. So it's not so it's not just what we are making within ourselves, it's all the other things we're now exposed to in sort of modern life. And then in the food that we have, you know, if you're buying, you know, uh, some of cheap chicken or something at the supermarket, it only takes six weeks to grow it because time is money in food production, um, because they're giving them growth hormones and stuff. And and as this life is in nineteen forty, it used to take four months. A man They've shortened that cycle down to six weeks because obviously it's a faster turnaround. But because they're using hormones to, to, to kind of grow these these animals quicker, um, you know, and those those hormones are then we're taking them, we're ingesting them, um, and then there's things like pesticides and so on as well. So, so hormones and steroids are coming into the food chain as well. It's so interesting. Um... And again, we, we can't we can't we can't stop it completely, but we can be mindful of the choices that we make. You know, when you start to understand that it's not just a choice. Oh, I buy organic because then I feel better about the welfare of the animal, which is important too. But but it's actually understand that when you are buying these cheaper meat choices and stuff, that you know you probably are putting a whole you know on a ton of the stuff. Body, um, and it's, it's just becoming aware of it because then you can make a more informed choice. You know, maybe eat meats and things slightly less often, but buy better quality ones, or you know, or, 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 or rotate your protein sources more. Or, or again, I'm not saying anyone has to do anything, but just be aware that this is yet another way that we are unwittingly taking on some of these, if you like, these xenoestrogens. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, especially when we're coming round to um, perimenopause. We don't want to, you know, be getting that estrogen um, dominance. And, you know, by just looking at these things, which our guys wouldn't have even thought about, like the shampoo, the eyeshadow, the lipstick, the perfume, the foundation, your blushy hairspray, your body lotion, nail varnish, the fake tans. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, looking at things like... Yeah, you know, and and looking at the things that we're putting on our bodies that are being absorbed into our skin um, is something I've never heard of before, and I never heard about the tap water thing. Um, so it's it's really interesting about you know being able to control our hormones at that point, you know, through the stuff that we put on our skin and, and through the things that we drink from. I mean, yeah, absolutely, and it's not even just. You know, the, the um, you know, if, if you don't use tap water, then people go, oh, I've got and that's that's almost as bad. You're not taking in hormones, then, but you're potentially taking in this BPA, you know, um, whatever that stands for, which is like a plastic. Some cookware, some things you cook with, and non cookware, and there's all, there's all, you know, the list is on, and when we start researching this, it's quite scary. And it's it's a bit like any kind of food labeling. Um, a lot of you know these ingredients aren't labelled up saying, "Hey, warning, this could be a this could disrupt your estrogen in your body." So they they've all got these you know euphemistic names. But, but definitely, if this is something that you're, you're you're listening to and you're thinking, actually, that's something I you know I want to take a little bit more notice of. You know, any of these. Well, again, you have to be careful that just the word "natural" doesn't always make something healthy. But you know, obviously, there is a big push in both things like cleaning products. And beauty products, stores that, you know, more natural, you know, things like the parabens, you know, and the things that use like the paraffins and stuff like that, they're all very much big no-nos. But even some of the fragrances as well are, um, 
you know, hairspray. I mean, you know, again, we all have, we all have to look good, but again, you, you can you can get sort of better sources of these things. But it's also making a choice. Maybe you don't need to use all of those products. And like you say, anything you're putting on your skin, your skin is the largest organ in your body, and you absorb so much through our skin. Um, so looking at you know the quality of the air we breathe, the quality of the, you know stuff we put on our skin, the water we drink, these are, you know these are massively important things, and, and they do affect your hormones. Mm. So as you see, I mean on this slide here, it shows it lovely. So xenoestrogens in the body are exacerbating menopausal symptoms because you've still got that same level of estrogen coming in, but the progesterone's going down. So that's where you're going to have those issues. Um, so. Yeah, we, you can see that the zeno is getting there first, isn't it? So it's not only you've got an estrogen dominance, but the dominance is is these disruptive man-made, if you like, they're not man-made, but you know the kind of the, the estrogens that aren't, you know, they're yes. not made within ourselves, and and they're becoming, if you like, dominant. So it's not yes. like the, the wrong type of estrogen dominance yeah definitely so then you've got here this side which is causes of menopausal symptoms and you've put things like poor diet and food choices lifestyle choice stress in capitals um lack of exercise or or you know sort of um the wrong type of exercise um which lead to poor health of the endocrine glands which take over from the ovaries in producing the hormones at menopause so can you explain that a bit kathy yeah, I mean, uh, I mean that's quite an all-encompassing side, isn't it? I won't go into the, the um, individual bits about the diet and the exercise because I know we've got some slides where yeah. we'll go into a bit more detail like that. But you know, obviously, the food we eat, the exercise we do, and all of those things, and then the stress webinar. We talked a lot about you know the, the, the impact of stress and, and and how we you know exercise and food can also be forms of stress. And when you've got this sort of chronically stressed body. You know, everything affects everything, and so it's, you know, you know, your adrenal glands start to get kind of overworked, and 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 so instead of having like a resilient, healthy body, you've got a, a if you like, stressed out system. And as the ovaries are stopping or slowing right down and producing these sex hormones, remember particularly the estrogen is being made in some of the other um, glands. We continue to make estrogen, including in our abdominal fat, which is one of the reasons. Stress being the big one, but another reason why naturally we tend to put a bit more weight on um, around the middle. It's partly because we're more uh, susceptible to cortisol, but it's also because the body wants you to be. I mean, I know I've tangent, but we talk about puberty. Boys and girls look the same. We get the sex hormones. The girls start looking more more like a girl and more of an hourglass. The boys tend to get you know broader shoulders and be a bit more of a tapered wedge. And then you know, you finally kind of get to. You know, at the other end, when you're kind of no longer in that reproductive years thing, you know, I wouldn't say men and women go back to being the same shape. We don't quite, but it's the same thing when you have those sex hormones kind of driving the physiology so much. You know, women do become a little bit more male in their, in, in many ways, but you know, in their hormonal profile and also in their fat storage. And um, and so your body will make an issue because it has so many functions. It's not just about, uh, you know, female reproduction and men have estrogen too so your body is, is starting to make you know it's making estrogen in other organs as well um but if you've got poor overall health and poor sort of systemic health the ability for it to carry on doing that is compromised because you've got this kind of stressed out you know stressed out body that's that's suffering from you know, abuse through poor food choices maybe over exercising or potentially under exercising and all the effects of stress so it's it's not you know as we age, um, 
you know, when we're young, it's about, you know, repair, repair, balance. When we're young, we repair very quickly, so we can take a little bit more abuse. As we get older, it's the opposite. It takes longer to repair, and therefore we need to be even more careful about like, the quality of, of things, that, you know, how we're treating our body and, and, and the kind of the, the stresses that we put in it, which include the food, and, you know, we, we want to nourish our body with, you know, real, you know, real foods and real nutrients and not, not, junk or, or missing meals or, or you know all, all of these will talk about this I know I've got some slides coming up on it but it's like you know poor poor lifestyle choices poor health overall equals you know poor repair and it's it's ability to function at a time when it's already now if you like slowing down something so it's going to be impaired so you need to be you know in in, in kind of the best health possible if you're hoping to kind of go through this transitional stage if you're hoping to kind of like sail through it um, then you need to be looking at, you know, all these things, your quality of your food, um, you know, what you're eating, what, you know, whether you choose to smoke, whether you're drinking alcohol, all these things, you know, it's not rocket science. No one listening to this is going to be shocked to hear that, you know, some of those things might not be great for their health. But whereas you kind of go, yeah, yeah, when you're maybe in your 20s or 30s because you're sort of getting away with it, suddenly it's going to have a much, um, you know, wider-reaching impact not only because you, you recover from it slower, but, you know, it does start to have a knock-on effect to your hormones. So you'll start to find that if you're doing anything other than a very moderate amount of alcohol, it's it's very, very difficult to, um, you know, maintain your, your body shape and body weight and, and lots of other things as well. So so all the stuff we know is good health advice, it just, you know, really comes home to roost at this point in, in time. You know, it's like if, if, if you've been pretty healthy, generally you'll have a, a much better time when you hit kind of perimenopause and menopause than, than if you haven't been. Mm. I feel like it's almost like the sort of like a time bomb. What, what I think is interesting is that a lot of us, you know, and even you and me, we know that we need to eat right and we need to exercise, but we don't often think that we external stresses on the body, like relationships, family work, like you've got here, commuting and, and incorrect exercise, um, external stresses on the body we don't often think about our circumstances or situations we're in in life when it comes to work or relationships how that actually affects our hormones in our body but this is probably one of the most important factors isn't it when it comes to peri and menopause and losing weight is the external stresses on the body and how we handle them Absolutely, and, and particularly when you think, I mean, how, how massive impactful is that, like your relationship, you know, if, if that's all going well, you know, hopefully you're a happy human, if you've got a number of these things that maybe aren't kind of working for you in, in the way that you, you, you want them to be, in however that might look for you, you know, you, you are going to be massively under a lot more stress, which is going to then be impacting all all the systems in your body, and definitely your hormones. And I, I haven't gone into the stress that much on this particular presentation just because we talked about it separately and, and we do have a handout on that because a, a lot of it overlaps. But, yeah, I mean, even your thoughts, you know, even if you've got a relatively good life but you're just the sort of person that's very hard on yourself, you know, our, our thoughts become chemical messages in our body. So it, it, it literally is that important. Really starts. I mean, that's the external stresses, but there's there's internal ones as well. And um, you know, everything in the body is just a series of like chemical messages, and, and you know, you know, that then kind of go down a cascade. So making sure that you know, and this is the thing about this life stage, it's kind of making sure that you 
we talk about it about reinventing yourself it's like it's, it's having a long hard look at some of these areas in your body because whereas we often just pick up with them and just think oh it's just how it is or I'm just going to push them through or it'll get better you know if a number of these things are really starting to um you know add to your stress it's kind of a in your life where you might need to sort of redefine you know what you, you know what your future what you want your future to look like and it's like could include relationships and yes that kind of includes your work and so on not just because you're thinking oh that might be making you stressed and bad but you know i think the, the chronic effect on your whole being your whole health and happiness if if most if most of the areas in your life are more bad than good or they're just not you know filling you with joy then then that absolutely needs to change because you know you could be the, the healthiest eating exercising person but if you've got all these stresses going on the chances are you know that your body will still be showing signs of being being sick yeah and i think um it, it's it's i think it's a really important time to sit back and think right how do i want my life to be can i keep going on living like this because you know when you're in your 20s or your 30s or whatever or maybe even your early 40s you can you know work in a certain way but as you get older as you say our bodies just can't take this stress because you know it as you say, we're changing on the inside, but our outside conditions might not change, but sometimes they're going to have to, you know, it's like maybe we have some wives um, and their husbands, do you know what I mean? Their husbands are just doing what they've always done and they're, they're perhaps, you know, speeding up towards the end of their, you know, life or whatever, their 50s or whatever, but it's not the same for a woman. It has to, it has to be different for her, doesn't it? For, you know, to counteract all of this, what's going on. Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, I'm not saying we all have to slow down and put our feet up and take up lifting and wear slippers. I'm absolutely not saying that. But no. I think it definitely is in a, in, in a life where we're all taking on too much and doing too much and feeling like the answer to any problem is to do more of something. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we need to sort of stop doing that and so not be so hard on ourselves or, or doing it in any kind of self-punishing way. Because as with any of especially, you know, we're all different. Some people thrive on on being very busy and what have you. And, and you know, mentally they might thrive on it, but maybe hormonally they might not be thriving on it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, if you think about it, again, I don't dwell on this, but, you know, again, these days... You know, we think we can have it all, and, and, and maybe from a physiological point, we weren't really meant to. Because I'm maybe 40, you know, we would have been, you know, hundreds of years ago, we probably would have been having babies as soon as we were of reproducible age, which might well have been our team. By the time you're like 40, you probably would be like at least grandma by then, and yeah. we'd be living in communities where, you know, we'd be sharing the language. You probably wouldn't be doing, you wouldn't be superwoman trying to do all these things because you'd be working in much more of a, you know, a communal area. And you would probably be that kind of, if you like, almost elder and wiser that would be there to, you know, and you'd have a different role. Whereas yeah. now we're encouraged to feel like we're still, and again, I, I fully support everyone wanting to look useful and go out and go clubbing if that's what you want. You know, your body might need you to slow down a little bit, yeah. or at least kind of honor it a little bit more. And no one's not saying go do those things and have adventures, but you know, you've got to kind of like look at that, that kind of the balanced scale and it. You are kind of doing lots of exciting things and busy things you've just got to start kind of giving yourself a bit more love those more restorative things it's time to start really prioritizing your self-care yeah yeah definitely so let's have a look at this um one then um kathy where we look at cortisol and the sex hormones because i know you've got a, a section on this so cortisol we know from the previous webinar is um you know a stress hormone 
So tell me about how this is affecting um, the menopause here. I think before we go on, can you just explain to me what DHEA is for the listeners who who don't understand what that is? Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, it's just this, for the listeners who can't see, this was exactly the same diagram that we showed at the beginning when we said that the sex hormones are kind of all synthesised, you know, originally from cholesterol. And what this, this little slide shows is just what happens when cortisol comes in but it's just a it's just a building block if you see the pregnenolone um which is what comes out of the cholesterol then gets broken down into dhea it's i can't remember what it stands for to be honest i could look it up but it's it's the precursor to all of the sex hormones right um so it's it's not and as you can see on there or you can't on the podcast but you have cholesterol which is then kind of like then makes this pregnenolone yep. which then goes into the DHA, but when cortisol is high, um, cortisol actually, it's called the pregnenolone steel, it actually then kind of, it, it, the cortisol, if you like, takes the, the raw materials to rebuild, because if we're having chronic stress, yeah. and, and so we're getting cortisol released, and then we need to make more, it needs to, it needs to make more cortisol, because the stress response and survival is our priority, ah. and as I said earlier, making, but if, if if you're living in a time of high stress, certainly in the old days, it's not a good time to get pregnant, not a good time to, to make and carry baby. So the body's like, you know, I'm going to shut that baby plant down for now. But, that, but that's, that's not, not even what it's doing. It's just taking the raw materials to make more cortisol. So the more you're having stress response, kind of the more cortisol has to be regenerated. And that's at the expense then of that DHEA and those, those, those estrogen, testosterone, so in a nutshell, because it's not a biochem lesson and, and, and your listeners, all they really need to know is stress. I think I think someone might say stress kills mojo, not just like your libido, but your you know, your your ability to make babies because it's it's not as a priority in the body compared to survival. And the raw materials that make our estrogen and testosterone, it just doesn't get made because the, the, the raw materials for that are then being nicked to make more cortisol. It's called the pregnenolone steel. I, I, um, kind of the, way, the way it's usually explained is that it is it, it kind of, it nicks it, 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 but it's, it's not actually that. It inhibits an enzyme that just stops that, that the rest of that, that okay. chain happening. But you don't really need to know the exact mechanisms of why. You just need to know that when cortisol's around, that, that sex hormone production pretty much stops. Right? So, so stress is massive, which is why we say start with stress and sleep. And that's why we did the stress webinar first, because mm. so much of all, you know, so much, it's not optional, but that, that's where you start. You know, because people are like, oh, well, what can I take for this? And they want to worry about the estrogen stuff, but it's like, we're not even getting down to that estrogen if the stress is, and, and, you know, right. stress hormones are kicking in all the time and we've got that imbalance. Right. You know, this, again, we're saying we've got to go upstream, we've got to go up and tap. The, the, yeah. the problem higher up where it's you know higher up the chain yeah so you know i would say sleep you know as i think we said before everybody sleeps or i hope you do you know everyone sleeps everybody eats um so there are two things that you know there are two ways we can really get people to um to massively impact their health yeah. according to them anyway so you know they can just make better choices and um so you know i covered sleep a lot more than the other one um but there's some things i put on here in a nutshell so so you have to make sure that we talk about poor quality food being stressed yeah and that's obviously people listening on here but but even things like skipping meals so yes there's there's some benefits to farming but again if you're if you are already in the sort of you know 
stress hormone dominance. You, you, I know you're very stressed, but you're also you're showing it. You're starting to put on that weight around the middle, which is the classic sign of it. You know, uh, if, if you like, don't know why, and it's like despite your best efforts, you can absolutely guarantee there's some stress hormone sort of dominance going on behind there. Then, then the answer, if that is you, because again, this isn't you know a blanket prescription for everybody, but if that's happening to you, things like skipping meals or eating. I mean, for everybody, that's a good advice. Because if you are eating on the go, you are, um, and Dax Moises, he says, you're, you're eating with a starter of cortisol soup. So, you know, in order to, a bit like training, we don't get better when we train. Training is the stimulus. And then we, you know, when we're recovering or resting, that's when we actually go and adapt and so on. We, we need to do the training in order for the adapting. But when we're eating, obviously, if we're just rushing around eating, we never get to fully digest and break that down and you've got all these stress hormones coming in and that's, that's going to affect um, you know, how we break the food down. So even if you're having great quality food, you're eating on the go, you're not mindful, you're probably not chewing it enough. I was, I think I said it on the last call, but I, I was at a lecture that day and they were saying that researchers, you know, we should be chewing our food about 40 times. Now, you know, obviously it depends what you're eating, but, you know, next time you're eating, I kind of, Make what to count. As soon as you start thinking about it, you'll do more than you probably currently do. But you know, most of us are nowhere near that. And and, and I'm always telling my my clients to eat slowly and mindfully and all of this. But it's the hardest thing to get people to actually do on a on a daily basis because we're all so busy and we all feel like we need to multitask and we all feel like we've got to cram as much in. And we all try and you know, and, and this is absolutely one of those areas. That you, again, it's one of those little big things where. You know, when you hear it, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, if you can actually prioritize and say, right, I am only going to eat if I sit down, you know, preferably at a table and focus on my food, that alone can, can be a bit of a game changer. Yeah, when I'm busy, I'm often running out the door, kind of something in my hand and meeting it in the car on the way to a client or something, which is great. You know, you've got, you're just really, um, you know, when you're doing that, you're just, you're just completely sort of sabotaging your own ability to digest it you've got your um you know got your stress almost buzzing around you're going to get that you know it's it's almost like you're eating a high carb meal then um regardless of what you're having because you're going to get the the, the insulin release and everything else that, that kicks in after the cortisol's been high mm-hmm. so i mean which you know, we talked about a lot <laughs> yeah we did because these are big topics that people get their heads around i mean you know i've i've learned about this stuff for years and i had to hear this a number of times and read it a number of times to kind of, and I've done a sports artistry and I'm, I'm used to biochemistry, so I appreciate, guys, this is not easy stuff to get your head around and I'm trying to make it as simple as you can in terms of what kind of, you know, action steps do you need to take. But it's important to understand why because when you don't understand the why, you're not going to see the importance of the yeah. step. You know, it's like, oh, is someone else telling me to be healthy again? Oh, someone's already going to slow down again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because everyone's waiting for that ninja tip or that new thing. But actually, the reason we all turn on about these bases is because this is, you know, this is true. This is what we need to do. And it just becomes more important as we get older, more and more and more important. Because because we were getting away with it before, and, and you hit the point where you know you probably won't anymore, and then you need to make some lifestyle changes, and but that doesn't just mean what you eat; it can be how you eat. I you know you know sit the hell down and take it seriously, and chew your food, and you know don't be on your phone or watching the TV, and and all of those things. You know, um, it's and it's hard if that's if that's not how you are right now. They're they're, they're very tough. They're tough. Um, 
tough changes to make, but they're important ones. Definitely. Now, you say here that um, poor glandular health combined with the xenoestrogens, okay, and poor lifestyle choices such as the smoking, too much alcohol, blood, blood tumor balances, stressful, busy life leads to the liver becoming overloaded. Um, and the liver supports uh, support the liver and the intestines. So, why is why should we be looking after our liver when we are, you know, sort of going through, um, you know, menopause and perimenopause? Why is this important? Well, we we need to look after our liver all through life. Of course. <laughs> Even, even more, you know, we will die. I mean, obviously, it's this massive organ and it has this incredible capacity to regenerate. But we also know that, it, you know, we don't know we've got problems until, until usually it's too late because it can survive so well at a much smaller capacity. And we only tend to get symptoms of a big problem when it's a real big problem. But actually, the liver does so, so many roles. And, and uh, so here, it, it can produce, so we're saying the ovaries produce um, our main sex hormones, but some of the roles they're produced in the liver. Mm. Um, it, it does produce the cholesterol, which we know is like the start place for these, these sex hormones. And it's the main organ of detoxification, and that includes dealing with these xenoestrogens. So if the liver's overloaded and mm. sluggish because we're having too many, you know, too much foods and processed food and, you know, all of those things, even poor quality water and stuff, then um, it's not able to get rid and, and deal with these, if you like, you know, these if you like, toxic estrogens um so so you know if you've got a strong healthy liver you're, you're best able to deal with you know these environmental stresses because we can't avoid them completely you know we, we don't live in the middle of nowhere in the 1920s you know, we're always going to have some air pollution and soil pollution all, all these things but we need to a minimize the ones that we do have a choice about whether we're taking it and then b make sure that our unnatural organ detoxification the liver is as healthy as it can be so it can do the best job of getting rid of that and you'll see that it works with the gut which we'll come on to yeah and we'll talk about how how we can um so again it's like it's actually this is the first line of defense and it's a work in town with the liver to extract the excess estrogens and and so um you know those two things you can't really separate out you know if we do like i'm not saying everyone needs to go on a detox but we detoxify by by reducing the amount of toxins we're having both in our diet yeah. and potentially you know things we're putting into our onto our skin and you know in our homes and all those other things um that's going to affect the gut as well and and fiber is like massively important so again we all know eat fiber yeah yeah, yeah. but you know fiber really helps you know push all that stuff out of the body and so do some of these other foods that just come up on this and actually one of the big ones because this there's a list and i'll read it out guys but probably one of the um, two big things I would say are, are flax seeds. I was going to say seeds, there? Flax seeds are are, um, are quite good, um, but also your cruciferous vegetables. So you know, I have to say they are not my favourite veggies, but cruciferous like your, your broccoli and, and, your, and your collie and your cabbage, your green veg are, are massively important in supporting the liver. And actually, um, those cruciferous veg are actually quite good as well because they, again, I don't want to confuse people, but they're a source of, if you like, phytoestrogens, you know, phyto meaning plant. Yeah. And the plant estrogens tend to be quite good. So, again, we're kind of boosting healthy estrogens in the body rather than the, the, these of the bad ones. But remember, the bad ones tend to lock onto the receptors. So, we can't just bombard ourselves with more good stuff. We do need to clear out the crap. So, it's, it's two things. It's 
trying to have less of those those I know you know environmental estrogens, and then making sure that our natural systems for getting rid of toxins, if you like, so like the liver and the gut, are supported so they can do the best possible. Because unfortunately, when we're stressed and when we're you know we're not eating right, we know that everything's compromised. The liver gets sluggish. And then, you know, these things build up. And also, what does the body do with, with toxins? It stores them in fat cells. Um, and actually, some of the problems, sometimes you people sometimes go on a detox and they can, they, they, they can feel crap for a bit, is often, you know, because when we do release that fat, it will release that toxin. Because, it, because usually you just get shut in the fat cells. So it's like shutting it in the cupboard. You're like, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Uh, and it's only if we create an environment where we then have to, you know, we start to release that fat cell and then that toxins are in circulation again. And, and we need the liver and the intestine to excrete it. We need fibre going through the system to help it go out. We need some of these foods, you know, guess what? It's those you know, rainbow-coloured foods and all the stuff that you already know, guys. But this is why another reason why you know, it's not just because they're full of antioxidants and stuff. They, they will help you um, get rid of some of these, like, you know, if you like, push some of these these estrogens through the body some of these xenoestrogens some of these excess estrogens as well so let's have a look at um how we can start to combat some of this because now we know the the why of everything that's going on and we know that we need to look at stress as a massive thing we've got a lot of people who are completely dumbfounded and 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 you know they get kind of um, stressed about the situation they're in because they can't lose the weight because they can't seem to be able to shift you know some of the um, symptoms they're getting they can't seem to be able to shift any of the weight so how can we work on this Kathy to help people be able to lose weight although as we know it will be a little bit slower when we when we reach these points of our life yeah i think that that's a really good question and and, and the kind of answer to that is is it's, it's really counterintuitive because what most people do when they when they when they want to lose weight is they they start if you like you know eating less and, and exercising more and if that's not working for them anymore then what they tend to then do like you say one they get more stressed and get frustrated it's not working so that's already we said it all starts with our thoughts we're having negative thoughts you know not feeling good about stuff that causes if you like a chemical cascade down so that that's going to have an impact it's been proven in studies um but also I'm losing my thread now. <laughs> yes. um, oh, yeah, the, the counterintuitive thing is, is the answer is not just to do more and do more and do more. Like, oh, God, I'm going to push through. Or I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the gym even more. I'm going to work out twice a day. And, you know, I'm not saying there's not phases in your life. You know, if you're for a bodybuilding comp, you know, that might be what you do. But, you know, we're talking about people in the 40s and older who just want to, you know, look a bit better in their clothes and be a bit healthier, hopefully. And, and, and you know, they're not... <laughs> They don't have extreme body composition because they shouldn't be doing extreme eating or extreme exercise. And again, it will start working against them because it's another form of stress. So it is prioritizing those, you know, if you think of like a balance scale, yes, we can you know we can do the exercise and stuff, but we need to be really careful that we um that we offset that and we talked about this on the stress thing with these parasympathetic activities and um can be a whole bunch of things. So it kind of, re, you know, because the body's designed to work in balance, and, you know, the stress and the stress response isn't a bad thing. You know, so you don't want to demonise anything in the body. But if that's kind of like 
if that song is running all day on repeat, then it's a bad thing. You know, it should be up and then it should come down again. And the fact that it brings it back down and, you know, hormones sort of should ebb and flow. But if we're kind of constantly saying, like, stress, 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 then when that happens long-term, chronically over time, we start to see that it all affects all other systems in the body. So we need to look at that. So, yes, we do need to look at our life because if our life, causing that something might need to change you can't just stick a band-aid on it but equally we need to look at the, you know the, whether the food is in stress whether the exercise is too much or too much stress and we look at these parasympathetic activities which is all the, the, the relaxing restorative things because that stimulates your um uh your, your thymus uh um is it thymus gland yes and if you Google, uh, I did have it up on my phone, there's a really good blog post. There's a, there's a um, website called selfhacked, S-E-L-F-H-A-C-K-E-D.com. And it's something like, I can't remember how many ways it's to stimulate your, I'm going to look up my phone very quickly, but it comes up with all sorts of activities um, that you can do to kind of bring you back into this rest and digest it. And it's, some of it's, obvious stuff i'm just going to call it up my phone now yeah 32 ways to stimulate your vagus nerve we need to know here we go and it's things like cold showers and um but, but there's loads of ha- have a look at the article guys 32 ways to stimulate your vagus nerve and it gives you a little bit of science about it as well because that will explain because this is the missing piece of the people they're like oh i need to do more because and so, you know, and I blame the fitness industry as well because it's all about, you know, oh, come on, be smart, you know. So they think the only way is to do more, like more self-punishment, more torture in the gym. I'm not saying it has to be torture, right? But actually what they might need to crank up is more sleep, more gentle walking, more of these, you know, 32 ways to stimulate the thing. We, we need to start turning that up to help turn the stress response down. Mm-hmm. It's all about creating balance, isn't it? rest and repair compared with absolutely actually stimulation because we do need some stimulation but it's that it's that fine balance of overdo over training and under resting <clears throat> to bring down them stress absolutely. levels absolutely so as yeah. you as yeah. you say it's all about the right kind of foods and the foods that aren't going to cause you know us with their insulin spike at all what's whatsoever so it's low insulin ones so proteins low starch veg dark fruits good quality kind of foods and then we talk about the rights and obviously this the thing that needs to change first is our stress levels then the food then the exercise and you know you've put a few tips here about exercise can you just expand on that for us Kathy? Yeah, and again, you know, this, these, these are generalisations because there'll always be someone, you know, they're going, hey, I ran half marathons and I was, you know, and I was really, and, and good for you, you know, at the end of the day, the proof of the pudding is if it's working for you. Yeah. If what you're doing isn't delivering the results in the body you want, then something needs to change. So no one's saying 100% of people, this has to be how it is. Because we're all, you know, unique, we're all genetically different, physiologically different. So if doing long distance running works for you i'm again not demonizing that although generally from most of this it's probably not the best thing to do for the bodies but any kind of long slow distance long cardio now this does include walking because walking is an intensity that stimulates a cortisol mm-hmm. response but if i go for it if i go out for a job i'm running at about I don't know, 10 and a half kilometers an hour pretty slow these days <laughs> for more than about 20 minutes again because i think hey but you know i'm burning more calories and it's all about the calories in calories out you know, yes, that matters and calories matter, but actually that kind of training can actually 
kind of cause a stress response and it also has in studies shown to stimulate your hunger hormones so it usually makes you hungrier and if that then results in your overeating those extra calories you won't even have been an issue because you'll probably consume more calories and the wrong sorts of foods afterwards so again somebody might be saying that doesn't happen to me and then it's like well good for you you know if it, if it works for you don't change it this is always the thing that you know these are these are guys i would suggest this is where for a lot of people they could make some change because everybody's natural instinct is to crank up and do more or i you know i think I'm oh, I've got a cross train at home, so I get one that half an hour a day. And you think, well, actually, probably if you're in this population, like perimenopause, menopausal women, you're probably better off <laughs> spending about 30 minutes walking in nature, right? Or listening to a guided meditation or something like that. It's probably better than just thinking, ah, oh, to get on, so I have to finish, do the thing, burn the calories. No one's saying don't do exercise. You know, try and restrict it to about 20 minutes, which is plenty enough to get the health benefits and so on. Do more of the walking and the gentle stuff, and then look at. And I know your guys will be on board with this, but you know that they're then doing some, you know, resistance training. And I, I've put hits, but really for this population, it's resistance training because they need it for the bone health. Yeah, they, you know, it's just so important. Yeah. So, um, so that's what I'd say: two to three sessions a week of resistance training. Mm. Do a few sessions of cardio if you can, and mass. But really, I'd do the resistance training, and then. Try and up the gentle stuff. So gentle walking, yeah. yoga. So actually, not you have to, all of these guys, but you know whichever yeah. ones you enjoy or that you know that you help, and and just again these more restorative things. Yeah, because and we've all come, you know, we're all conditioned to think is precious fit virus. But do more. Most of us, is, is, you know, God, I've been doing it twenty five years. I don't work out as much as I used to because I just don't want to anymore. But you know, I used to be in the gym every day for a minimum of an hour because I thought that's all I had to be. But but actually. Do we? And you know, and we definitely don't want to be telling our clients that. As most of them are going to stick two things up, but it's because they haven't got the time or inclination to be in the gym that much. And the good news, guys, is you don't have to be. Um, but you just need to do the, you know, the right type. You know, this whole thing you kind of get of oh, just grab a couple like bottles of water as resistance. Well, no, that's not going to cut it. Unfortunately, it's even more important for women of this age that you're doing. Yeah, nothing ever has to go out and lift really heavy, but it needs to be a resistance that's heavy enough that you know it's going to create change. Going to load your bones, it's going to create you know, stimulate some muscle growth as well. Not not build muscle, guys, but just muscle tissue as we age, as we know from the age of 25 on, muscle production dropping down. And as we get older, certainly, you know, unfortunately, when we hit menopause, you know, our rate of decline of, of, of bone growth and I mean, it you know, really starts to you know, everything's slowly going downhill. And then when we hit menopause, some of these other things start dropping off. We really need to be, you know, kind of preventative by doing, you know, serious resistance training, but, you know, just grabbing a couple of small cans of eight beans for five minutes in your lounge is not going to be enough, you know, so let's, we have to get real about that. Yeah. And then the other thing is to combat those xenoestrogen. So even like avoiding plastic water bottles, minimizing microwave use, especially with plastic containers, drinking filtered water, avoiding those chemical-based household cleaning products, consume organic grass-fed meat and thoroughly wash all fruits and vegetables to remove pesticide traces as possible. So that's coming yeah. from that and angle, I'm really isn't bad it? That one, you know, because, yeah, that's important as well. And I, since I learned all this stuff, I'm much better at it because um, these are the things that, you know, we just think about. We're not, you know, we're not given that message enough. And we're in a hurry, so you often think, oh, it's come out of a bag from the supermarket, it looks clean, you know, 
cooking straight away or I'll just eat that apple. But yeah, absolutely wash it. Yeah, definitely. And you say... Because all these things add up. Yeah. I think the biggest thing, I think the biggest issue here is stress. I think that's the biggest yeah, issue. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, because as you say, when all this is not enough, if you're still struggling, you must seek help from a medical professional who specialises in the bioidentical hormones. But as you say, that doesn't have to mean HRT. You can see a doctor that specialises in bioidentical hormones. Um, and you say they're not the same thing as HRT. Um, this is more no, progesterone. No, that's, that was actually fun. That's that's the thing. HRT tends you know, one of the reasons HRT probably rightly gets a bad rap. I mean, HRT is an umbrella for hormone replacement therapy. So in theory, bioidentical hormones are the same thing because they're a form of hormone replacement therapy. But in practice, they're not the same thing because HRT, as it's traditionally been prescribed, is is high in estrogens, and so it's almost like the complete wrong prescription because yeah. what we just discussing for the last hour or so is how we've already got this dominance we've got the wrong types of issues and coming in we've got other forms coming in through the food chain and coming out as a left right and center and then we go to the doctor saying i've got you know i've got some i think i might be you know menopausal and I'm like oh i'll stick you on hrt and we're putting even more estrogen into that system so um it does, doesn't always work and, and a lot of the kind of more traditional forms have been have been they are synthetically produced or they're produced from like um pregnant mares which is actually you know again a horse so it's not it's not the same as a human female whereas the, the newer generation of some of this stuff is um they are synthesized from natural products like like there's, there's more progesterone in them they come from things like yams um you know which is like a vegetable so it's not um so so it's you know coming on leaps and bounds but if you went to your typical gp chances i probably will still give you that you know it's unfortunately we know gps are stress and overworked and they have to be an expert in everything and of course what that really means is not an expert in everything they know a little bit and they don't go on enough trainings in all the different you know diseases and problems and symptoms that they get presented with so so you know your average one it's a female doctor quite often won't be that up to speed with this you do kind of if, if you've tried everything you've tried all the all the lifestyle stuff you sorted the stress you've tried everything else and you're still you know still having such bad hot flushes you can't sleep and we know if you're not sleeping then the rest of your quality of life is massively going to suffer. And so sometimes it's not enough to just go, oh, you know, I'll, I'll make all these changes and in six months' time I might sleep better. You know, uh, again, I, I, I know a lot of people who are absolutely adamant they don't want to take any kind of hormone replacement. And that's absolutely their choice. And, and, and I support that. But I need support any woman that does want to take, like, the most of what, you know, the medical profession currently is producing. And it's interesting a lot of the women that don't want to take any kind of thing, but we're quite happy to take birth control, um, which is also, you know, there are some things linking the time that you were on, on the pill and on birth control pill to, to then, you know, some of your symptoms that you might be getting when you kind of perimenopausal. So you, know, you can see that, you know, none of these things happen in a vacuum and everything everything we've done in the years leading up to this still always, as I say, has come home to roost. So um, I, I, you know, it's certainly something to explore and Thing I'm still learning about someone who, you know, I'm not a doctor myself, and I'm not, a, I'm not an endocrinologist. So I go and learn from people, and 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 you start to understand there's, there's a lack of understanding of what's available, and there are some more, um, say, more naturally produced types of progesterone in particular, because the, the traditional approach was more, more, more sticking in more estrogen in. We know that really a lot of the symptoms are down to maybe the progesterone being low, and the other thing is just to make sure you're seeing someone who. You know, he's testing you, and then you're, you're you know, it's like anything they're going to have to tweak 
dose because you want the minimum dose possible to get that favorable change to your symptoms, whatever they may be. But usually the hot flushes are a biggie because they, they can really impact your quality of life. Uh, and then to kind of monitor it over time. So, you know, I, I like to hope I'll be able to go through it all naturally. But if I'm, you know, if I can't, if I can't feel as good as I want to feel by doing everything naturally, then I'm not. I'm certainly, I'll, I'll be straight down there. But, um, but it is an individual choice. I think the main thing is that you know you just you just have this information so you can make an informed choice about what you want to do with your body. Definitely. I mean, as you say, you know, menopause is a natural stage in a female lifestyle. We need to support the liver, cut out the stimulants. We need to undertake the right type of exercise, manage our stress, prioritize our sleep, remembering it's a time to be celebrated, not frightened. Don't be afraid of seeking help for, uh, for um, symptoms and take yourself and, and your life, you know, and your health seriously. And I think, I still think stress is a, a massive factor with this one. But I think the, um, yeah, the xenoestrogens yeah, is so interesting. But, um, Kathy, I've got a couple of questions for you. So we've had, yeah. we've had a couple of people um, reach out to us. Um one of the questions is, how can you combat night sweats or the, um, do you know a best way of being able to do that at all? Well, I guess if there was a best way, then then people wouldn't still be having them. It is, it is probably, as just touched on, one of the most common and most debilitating yeah. symptoms. And 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 they and actually, some women post menopause, even when all the hormones come down, still continue to have them. Yeah. Uh, again, I I would come down to stress because because we have less of these hormones around. One one of the things they do is calm us, and and they affect the part of our brain that makes us feel safe. So some it's interesting that it often happens at night, isn't it? And I think so. Again, managing the whole stress response so that not only you know our, our cortisol curve yeah. to be you know it kind of. It, in the correct thing so that it's kind of higher in the morning and then low at night uh, and, and making sure that we manage our, our sleep environment so that, you know, we, we are, um, you know, also if we said in the last thing, not having exposure to sort of um, backlit devices, computers, bright lights immediately before bed, we have that pre-sleep routine, we, we maybe, uh, what, one of the things I would say actually is, is, is magnesium because again, that's a karma, but and it is, there's not many things I, I'd, I'd say to people, yeah, you know, everybody, everybody should take this, but I mean, it is like the, the miracle mineral and um, it's, it helps with so many things, including sleep, but it, it can, I think I read a stat a little while ago saying that, in some study, again, you have to be careful with studies, but uh, I, I think something like about about 50% of people had a, a massive reduction in their hot flashes from taking magnesium. And so the best way to take that is usually an Epsom salt bath, um, only because if you take it all, you can take it topically, you can also take it as a spray. If you're going to take it as a tablet, you have to build your dose up slowly because it can upset your tummy. <laughs> Quite in quite a, a bad way, so you'd have to build up tolerance on that. Whereas taking it through the skin, we've already said, you know, we absorb things through our skin massively. It's a huge organ. And if you don't like baths, and I don't, um, you can just soak your feet in a bucket. So you know, yeah, and, and you can have sprays, and you can have, you know. So, so I would, I would definitely look at magnesium. Again, there is no easy just take this thing and everything will be okay. Mm. Um, I, I think you know. It's making sure you're not having coffee, you're not having, you know, all, the, all those other stimulants as well. And that you may, the other thing I'd look at is that flaxseed as well, because that can help with the, um, that's, that, that kind of helps with kind of the balance of the estrogens, because sometimes it's just like these, um, 
you know, is, is, is the body vasodilating, is the heart rate going up and so on. So, it's, you know, anything that helps get rid of the bad estrogens and anything that's a good source of the good ones. So, you know, making sure we're eating all our kind of cruciferous virgin, uh, all of that, having flax seeds maybe the best. That's really interesting about the Epsom salts and the magnesium. So you could do like a meditation or something while you're soaking your feet or whatever. And you can just buy these um, kind yeah, of... Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, okay. No, that, that's good. If um, whoever, whoever asked that question, you know I mentioned the article um, that do ways to yeah. do it. Read that because, because the stuff on there will help. Because, you know, no one saying do all of those. But, you know, it gives you a little... Bit of the science behind it, and guess what? That's a way of we say turning down the stress, and really it talks about the physiology of it as well. It's well worth the read. So um, that was, and you know, look at some of the ones that might sound like something you could fit into your, your yeah. Life. So that was selfhacked.com, and that's 32 ways to stimulate the vagus nerve, guys. Okay, so check that one out definitely. Yeah, and we often find that a lot of people really? get, get that pooch, don't they, kind of on their belly. Um, you know, around this time of... And this is something that is quite typical, isn't it? It is, and as we said, we, as we become more more susceptible to the effects of the cortisol because the estrogen's less high and the estrogen is, is partly protective of that, um, therefore some of the things like the weight gain around the middle become you know, more apparent. And they, are, and they are, to be honest, they are part of the process naturally because... Because that fat is there to to produce more estrogen as the ovaries are, are stopping doing it, other glands and areas of the body start to take over uh, the estrogen production because we never have none. But uh, of course, aesthetically, we don't like that as you know, modern women. We do, you know we, we might not be you know kind of <laughs> in you know our reproductive prime, but it doesn't mean we want to look like um, you know. But but unfortunately, say at puberty, we, we get that feminine shape, and generally, when you come out the other end of it. it it starts to go. So no one's saying you can't have it. It does become harder work um, because you do have to manage the stress. So that's key if you want to get rid of the fat around the middle. Um, and the other thing, sometimes, I mean, I'd, I'd have to see their tummy, uh, but, but and the other thing is sometimes that's liver as well, the liver being overloaded. You know, if you tend to get like two rolls of fat, like the upper roll tends to be the sluggish liver, and then like the lower roll it tends to be more cortisol stress and usually the two are going to go together you're not really going to worry about the other but the other thing is just just general kind of posture and muscle tone as you get older i'm sure not the guys that you trade that you work with but often it's you know it's, it's a little bit like um kind of the core needing a little bit of strengthening as well because you, know, you you and i both know that we could stand and have a picture taken i could stand and and, and, and look pretty awful <laughs> I can, and i can stand you know five seconds later and and, and look a lot a lot of flat and chubby just by how I'm kind of standing and holding myself. So there's a little bit of kind of like muscle tone posture there as well. But I'd certainly be looking again. Like you said, it all goes back to the stress. Everyone wants to get into the nitty gritty of the hormones and the, the sex hormones and what. We, but understanding that whole hierarchy, it goes up to the stress, and even that goes up to our what's going on inside our heads. You yeah. know what we're thinking. So when we're going to this time of change. We, we, you know, we better, we don't have to love it, but we, we, you know, we better manage our thoughts very carefully because if we're feeling very negative about everything that's going on, then, then you're, you're really going to struggle to find um, that you, you get the changes to your body that you want. It all starts kind of up, upstairs in the brain. 
Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with you. Um, guys, do we have any questions at all whatsoever? Just um, finishing up, just, you know, sort of we invite that. But, um, you know, this has been such an extensive webinar. It's been absolutely packed of information. And what I want to say to you guys is, if you want any more clarity on this or you want some specific help with this, okay, then please will you contact Kathy? Am I right in saying that, Kathy? It's Kathy at KathyMcCarthy.co.uk. Yeah, yeah, it's on the handout, guys. That you know, and I guess if you listen to the podcast, you can you can hit uh, Laura and Barry up, and they'll, and they'll and they'll get that to you. But yeah, you can certainly get me on um, on my email, or uh, you can even I, mean, I could give you my phone number, or you can find me on Facebook. But just yeah, 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 reach out to me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's no problems at all whatsoever. The guys have got our our contact details anyway. So. Kathy, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us live this evening. Um, we really do appreciate it. Um, we just have one question um, that's just come in. It says, how do you know if your body is stressed even if you don't feel stressed? Ah, uh, that's a question, isn't it? Um, mm. Well, yeah, I guess looking for some of these these signs, like the weight gain around the middle, but, but I, actually some of those menopausal symptoms, I mean... Um, things like hair loss it can be because I mean that's quite extreme but again testing testing is always a good idea um the problem with testing is if you're just going to get anything tested now like if you have an adrenal um test uh, and you can have like cortisol and stuff like that tested quite easily with a saliva test but the problem is um whatever your result is the first time you do it is almost meaningless because because what you find with any of these hormones there's there's ranges, and they're quite big ranges, and you can be anywhere on that range and be normal, but what we need to get picked up is what is normal for you and then what's changing yeah. you. So I guess what most of us, all of us should do is get baseline measures in some of these, you know, whether we go to a, a clinic and have a whole battery test or something. So you start to know kind of what, you know, probably do it before you kind of get into an age where these things are going to kick in, uh, so that when we when things start to change, you can certainly see it in things like your um, circulating cortisol, um, stuff like that. They'll test things like the DHEA. So again, if that's not if that's not as high, then you kind of know it's not it's not getting made because cortisol's stealing it again slightly oversimplistic, but that's that's so so you can have hormonal stress. But I would say yeah, kind of trust your instincts. I mean, you would know because um, you, your sleep will start to suffer. You will start to gain weight around the middle. You will start to feel, um, you know, awake at night but drained in the morning. Or, or maybe not that extreme to start with, but, you know, it's all these things that we probably just put down to, yeah, I'm just too busy or, yeah, I didn't do that well last night. And, you know, so we accept it as being normal or part of being busy. But, you know, if these things are happening more often than not... Uh, or maybe you might start getting some digestive symptoms. I mean, the whole, you know, everybody's different, so everybody's going to present symptoms differently. But I think, you know, uh, I think when these things start flagging up, they usually start quite subtly and then they get worse. And this is the point, how do you know? Well, it comes down to listening to your body and how in tune you are, because what tends to happen is if, if these things go unchecked, is that the body will start to kind of, if you like, shout louder and louder until you do start to take notice. Um, so that's a good question. There's no easy answers. I mean, if you're kind of testing and, and testing time is a good idea. But I'd say I wouldn't even worry about whether I was or not. I'd just be implementing some of these kind of uh, 
these like the calming and balancing strategies anyway because we all need more of that and that's what we're just not doing because when we're all so busy we're looking more, more we can squeeze in and we're not usually trying to factor in more more rest more naps more joy more laughter we're not making that a priority more time just hanging out with my pets you know we're so we're so busy all the time and when we do have downtime instead of doing something quality we're scrolling on facebook or mine you know i know i am i'm guilty of this you know and i need to make i need to prioritize these restorative things whether it's meditating whether it's just taking some deep breaths whether it's your bath whether it's a culture whether it's a you know, whatever whatever kind of floats your boat but you know schedule that in just like you'd be sure you know it doesn't have to be half of that it could be five ten minutes but schedule those things into your life like you're scheduling your workouts and everything else you know don't don't wait to feel like oh i have to be stressed before i do this just start doing it because it's it's, it's hugely preventative and you know if we can all be preventative then then that's much much better than waiting for these things to start to to to, to show us symptoms and, and and later disease because if we don't check this we it does lead to disease I think that's um, a really good answer to that question there, Cathy. A really extensive and it covered all angles. So thank you so much, Ryan. Hopefully, um, Linda, you got something from that for yourself that you can start to take now and think and mull over and everything. So, Cathy, look, we are going to thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank you so much for your time and all your knowledge. I mean, we could talk about this for a whole week and probably still not even, you know, cut it. It's just such a massive subject. It really is. Yeah, but at least it gives people some framework of what's going on and some areas that maybe if it doesn't, oh, that could be, you know, that they can go and do themselves. Definitely. You know, just, just understanding, um, you know, what's going on and, and, and some of it's natural, but then there's, there's unnatural like things that, and, and lifestyle things that can be kind of getting in there and making things worse. And it's definitely something to, to look at. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's huge. But then if this is you and this is happening to you, you'll, you'll do the work. So it's, it's, it's worth it. You know. Exactly. Definitely. Thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Um, and I know the guys will absolutely love this as well. So thank you.